All right, here we are, episode 101 of the Rail Splitter Podcast. So welcome back, Rail Split Nash. All right, we are. Why is everybody laughing? That was a great intro. So we are here with uh, Christian McOrder uh, from the Lincoln Library, the Lincoln Curator, and then Son of a Gun Daniel Worthington. Worthington. I'm a terrible host already. So, and then what's your title over there? I'm the director of the Papers of Abraham Lincoln. All right. So uh, we are here to talk a little bit about Lincoln's, uh, you know, time as a state representative. Uh, but we're going to start off with, we just got out of the museum, and it was Canadian Mary's first time down here um, with. Her friend, her best friend, Canadian Christian. Um, so what did you think of the museum? You should tell these guys what you thought of the museum. Um, so, I mean, I've been to a lot of museums. I used to work in the museum field. Um, this is by far one of the best museums I've ever been to. Uh, the accessibility of the history for all different types, like how people learn, is just, I thought it was amazing. Um, and I felt like I was immersed in the world of Lincoln from his early days right through to his assassination and I did learn stuff while I was there um and some of the the the, some of the exhibits are very powerful like for example when you walk into um one of the galleries there's this like just this kind of I don't know if diorama is the right word to use for it but it's showing a slave family being ripped apart and that was like I had tears in my eyes when I saw it. I was like, "Whoa, this is really I'm going to remember this." And then in the next part, you walk in, and there's Lincoln and Anne. I think it's supposed to be Anne Rutledge. But then I looked on the wall of this general store that they're in, and there's a sign for a escaped slave, like like that he's wanted. And I'm like, "Whoa, that like it was just those little details that I really love to see." And, like, the two, like, the ghosts of the library was really cool. Um, and the other movie about Abraham Lincoln was also very well done. And uh, the gift shop's pretty cool, too. <laughs> I, I bought one mug. It's the only mug on this trip. That's amazing, considering you have 5,000 mugs. <laughs> no, I have 5,001. Yeah, I feel bad for you, Jerry. <laughs> oh, I forgot to introduce. Uh, Jeremy's here as well, so... Uh, yeah, here, you should say something. Hello. Good to be here. <laughs> Episode 101. <laughs> Just so you know, I got a picture of her, Christian, looking through the mirror, Lincoln's Excellent. mirror, yeah. which we talked about when we had you on previously, that you, you know, one of the one of your picks. So I got a pretty good picture of her looking through the mirror. So yeah. um, I know you love that piece. Yeah, that's so. my favorite thing we've we've got in there right now. And uh, and uh, Mary, I'm, it's great that you love the uh, museum so much. Thank you so much for saying that. Um, it's interesting you use the word immersed because that's what we tell people. It's supposed to be mm-hmm. an immersive experience, yeah. right? It's, it's not a quote-unquote artifact-driven museum. No. We have artifacts spread throughout, but you're supposed to feel like you're immersed in Lincoln's life, and it sounds like that really worked on you. Uh, it's also cool that you picked out there are these threads that go through the museum in different places. And uh, yeah, the for sale, the, the wanted poster for the escaped slave is one. Um, Lincoln's little doll that he's yes, carrying. Yeah, Willie I saw that in is, yeah, it, yeah, it shows up again. There's all these little, um, you know, I, I don't want to call them Easter eggs, but I don't know what else to call them. But yeah, it's, uh, it, it's a cool place. And, and uh, it sounds like it really did its magic on you. So that's Yeah, I, I definitely want to go again. I will definitely recommend it to people. Like, I think anybody who loves and studies Lincoln like like we all do they need to make the pilgrimage to to Springfield and to you know go see his home go see his tomb and go see the the museum as well because I mean you're going to come away with an even deeper appreciation for him I think no I that's that's our goal at least so um yeah I'm I'm glad to hear that and uh it's it's I've said this one I've been on before you know it's it's a fun place to work and and getting to work with the collection there especially is is really cool so um yeah that's great I'm glad really glad you liked it Mm -hmm. it was awesome it's a great place 
Yeah, I think, uh, and if, if we sound weird, it's because Nick and I are on one microphone, so we're kind of like doing the Lennon-McCartney kind of thing, a little, little duet type type deal. So. I'm Lennon. I'm Lennon. <laughs> uh, we should have said that in harmony. Uh, no, one of the one of the things that I really, and we kind of talked about this a little bit on our last episode, when you're in Springfield, and, and the museum I think is a great example of just the scale of Lincoln scholarship or appreciation. It can, you know, it ranges from... You know, someone, and I think there were, you know, I've today I've, at the museum, I don't know for sure, but we saw people from at least four or five different countries, from what I can tell. I don't want to make any assumptions. Um, and I don't know about their Lincoln knowledge, but they seem to be really enjoying the experience. I've seen very young people enjoying the experience, and you're literally across the street from like the Lincoln Papers, and, and there's mm-hmm. so that, and then of course, like the highest of Lincoln scholarship is is right there, but it doesn't really feel like it's this intimidating kind of thing like being in springfield it just feels like there's just lincoln's in the air and and there's not like that that feeling of like you're in an academic sphere but that's still there you know like like we know that that exists and we know that in the stacks there's all kinds of like real historic work going on which is why i'm excited to have the both of you on to kind of hear that angle too um but just as like a kind of a plug for springfield i think it's delightful that um that's there and it's very present in Springfield and specifically at the library, but it doesn't feel like you've got to be a historian or you've got to be a member of the club or, or whatever. It's like everyone is welcome, and regardless of your level of Lincoln knowledge, which I think is super cool. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, a bearded idiot email basically Christian Lincoln curator like a week ago, and then you're so willing to come out, and then you bring Daniel asking come out, and you guys are coming out here on a Sunday, you know, Labor Day weekend. So we're very appreciative of that. Yeah, we definitely appreciate you guys coming uh, here to do this with us. Oh, it's had to do it. Yeah, it's it's no problem. And I um, the 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 title I have is actually Lincoln historian, and what I do as a Lincoln historian that's that's cool. But I, I brought that up not to correct you, but to to like. One of my, I, I feel one of my duties is to do stuff like this and, and to be someone who can communicate Lincoln's legacy and educate folks about Lincoln. And not that you guys need any education, but like doing this kind of stuff, um, you know, this is fun. This is part of the reason I got involved in working in a museum is, is doing this kind of thing. And, and, you know, yeah, you don't want to have it be this kind of cloistered thing where, you know, I work behind a security door, but that's only because of the stuff I work with. You know, it's not, it's not because I want to be off limits, you know, so... Um, you know, you, if if that is the impression you get when you go to the museum and you go to the library, that's a very open and welcoming place. That's um, that's good. That's that's what we want. Um, and uh, we always, you know, encourage people uh, to come here. I came here as a grad student uh, to do research. Uh, like you said, when you walk around the museum, you hear people of uh, you know speaking different languages. I mean, it's it's really kind of amazing that here in like Central Illinois, um, you know, we're we're a destination, right? So mm-hmm. yeah. Well, Daniel, why don't you kind of fill us in on your role, what you do day to day, um, and then we'll start diving in some, you know, Lincoln content. Well, the Papers of Abraham Lincoln is a project that started originally as a project to collect Abraham Lincoln's legal papers back in the 1980s. Uh, There was a gap in, there was felt to be a gap in knowledge about Lincoln's legal career. So the project initially was a project that went around to all the county courthouses in Illinois and collected around 96,000 documents related to Lincoln's cases. And I think there's something to the effect of about 4,000 cases now that we have papers related to. So that part of the project is done. That was done in 2000, and the papers of Abraham Lincoln sort of morphed off of that project. And its goal is relatively simple, and that is to find and digitize all documents written by or written to or um, uh, signed by Abraham Lincoln from other than his legal, legal stuff from the to- from the first document, which is uh, his uh, cipher book, which is around 1824 to the day of his assassination. We have about 106,000 documents uh, currently in our database from 48 states and from four or five foreign countries. And what we do on a day-to-day basis is we largely get those documents that get those documents ready for publication online. We have a website called the Papers of Abraham Lincoln.org. Uh, this is the Papers of Abraham Lincoln Digital Library, which is our website that we publish the documents up to. And we've published the first segment, which is the legislative career, Lincoln's time in the legislature, 
from around his from the first document up until May of March of 1841, and now we're working on the second segment, which is largely centered around Lincoln's time in the Congre- in Congress, 1842 to about 1849. So we we annotate the documents. Well, we transcribe the documents, so we make sure there's a clear text for people to search. And then we annotate the documents, put them in historical context, explain anything that needs to be explained. Uh, we provide an access through uh, search terms, like slavery, anti-slavery. And we also uh, provide the image. So we have an image, we have a, t- a transcription, so they're searchable. And, uh, and we also write biographies and we identify people and places and organizations and events that are connected with the documents. So you have a number of different ways you can access the information and uh, this is the first project that has tried to capture not only documents written by Lincoln, but also documents that are incoming as well. So that adds quite a number of documents to the Lincoln um, core of documents. Of course, the largest segment will be the presidency. We, th- we think that he, has, he gets around 17,000 documents a month right now. I'm sure there's probably far more than that. If we were to search every foreign country and get every document, there would be far more than that. But that's what we have right now. So, uh, and it covers all kinds of topics. So we, we have done quite a bit of work on Lincoln as a legislator, and uh, we've finished all the documents that are connected to him when he's in the time in the, time of the legislature. So if you want to talk about that, we can talk about that in connection with uh, the documents that we have and uh, how that all works. Yeah, I think so, because we've talked about on the show, that's one of the areas that we haven't really touched on on the mm-hmm. podcast. So, you know, most people, when they think of Lincoln as a politician, I think it's the presidency that pops in the head. So after, you know, kind of working with the papers and stuff, how do you, how have you seen the evolution of him as a state legislator kind of evolve into him being the president, um, based kind of on your experience? Well, he starts as a freshman Legislator, he runs for legislature in 1832. The first time he runs, he does not. He's not successful. He loses that election, and then he runs successfully four times: 34, 36, 38, and 40. So during that period, he does virtually not a whole lot. His first term, he is just starting out. There's not much legislation that he proposes. Uh, not much that he's involved with in 34 to 36. Uh, 36 to 40, he is involved in a number of things. I'll give you just a few few examples, and Christian can jump in as well. Uh, One of the things he's involved in is moving the capital from Vandalia to Springfield. He is one of the long nine. He is involved in that, Uh, deeply involved in that, in moving the capital capital across the street from us now. He's also involved in the breakup of Sangamon County. Sangamon County was a massive county. Uh, Lincoln was opposed to the breakup of the county, and eventually he was broken up into four counties, including Sangamon. Uh, he opposed that. And he was also involved in the evolution of the, the biggest topic probably during his time period is the, is the massive internal improvement project that they created in 1837. They have this massive law, $8 million to go for, for building railroads, clearing rivers, creating canals. Lincoln, is, of course, votes for that. He doesn't introduce it, but he votes for it. And he spends the rest of his time in the legislature, fight, f- legislature trying, fighting to keep that and also fighting to make sure that the Democrats don't um, get rid of it and also trying to save the, the uh, State Bank of Illinois and also save the, st- the state from financial ruin because of the Panic of 1837. So you see him really advancing to, from becoming probably an anti-Jacksonian to a fairly strong Whig. I mean, his, by the time he leaves, he is identified very closely with Whig policies. And that's what he does in the 40s. He stays that way, um, involved in, in internal improvements, banks, um, strong currency, paper currency, um, favor of government involvement in the economy. He's certainly not a laissez-faire economic person, follower of Henry Clay, things of that nature. I mean, yeah, I would just kind of go a little bigger picture and emphasize what what, uh, Daniel said, that he's um, right back to 32 with the failed election. 
there is no Whig Party really in '32. No. Um, but they're nascent at the time they're forming, and right in that speech, that's when he makes his first political speech. It's the one where he says he wants to be, you know, the main thing he wants is to be esteemed by his fellow man. Right? That's the takeaway quote everybody gets from that first speech. But that whole first speech is about internal improvements, and internal improvements is a key part of the Whig platform. And Lincoln's basically a Whig, even if not by name, right from the get go. By the time we we find Lincoln in 32. That's his thing. He's about the government investing in the economy. Um, he has a more expansive view of the government um, than maybe the Jacksonians who become the Democrats do. Uh, and and as, um, as his legislative career goes on, you know, Daniel said he becomes more of a Whig. I would also say, like, Lincoln is very much a party man. Lincoln is... Um, Lincoln is a Whig through and through and through, and and, and it, it's the, you don't see as much in the legislative time, uh, uh, career of you know Lincoln is kind of the 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 sage, the patriotic sage that he'll become at the Gettysburg Address. That guy, he hasn't quite shown up yet. He's right. he's kind of he's forming, um, but the the kind of adept politician is there. Um, and one of the things Lincoln really learns how to do in the legislature is network, uh, to use the modern term. Lincoln in the legislature, this is the guy who's, who's going to learn who, who he needs to be friends with, who's going to keep connections with. And those connections that he forms in the legislature are going to stay with him right through to 1860. A, a lot of these guys, when Lincoln is orchestrating the formation of the rope, Republican Party. He when is his you know he's running for Senate and then he's running for president. A lot of that goes right back to his time in the legislature with these connections he makes and this reputation he develops as you know as a strong Whig, but also a guy who um, you want they, these guys all get inspired by Lincoln and that also starts to form later in his his legislative career. Where these guys all want to do favors for Lincoln. They like Lincoln. Um, that's one of Lincoln's real positive traits one of the things that helps him is is people people like to hang out with him um and then they start to believe in him you know yeah just to give you an example of of his party spirit uh this is a document that we found and it was a it's a very famous document where lincoln is really gets upset with one of his fellow Whigs about an election for the public printer and he uh the election is uh the person that wins the election is the is the editor of the Illinois State Register, which is a Democrat. And Lincoln can't believe that this person has voted for this man who has been criticizing them for years. And so that shows you his party kind of loyalty. He wants this, he wants Simeon Francis to win the election or someone else other than this man, I can't remember his name right now. And he really takes the man to task. And initially the this document, we thought it was it was in the eighteen thirty like eighteen thirty seven. But we discovered later that this was in eighteen thirty nine. And the reason Lincoln is so upset is because the election was really close in eighteen thirty nine, like two two votes off, and a couple of votes really mattered. And in this case, this guy, the, the Democrat, won, uh, and the vote was like sixty five to sixty four, sixty three. And Lincoln saying, "Hey, look, you know, we have a chance," and. The public printer's job is a lucrative job for us, and why are you why are you voting for this man? Of course, he never the guy doesn't respond back, but that gives you an idea of his party loyalty. And I think another thing that happens to Lincoln that continues on is that Lincoln becomes not just a local politician during his time, but he also becomes in eighteen forty a national spokesman for the Whig Party. He gives a speech. Um, I think one of his first speeches he gives on the inter- on the idea of the independent subtreasury system. He gets adopted by the Whig Party as the Whig Party's platform on the on the independent subtreasury system, and so Lincoln becomes a spokesperson around the circuit for whoever's running for president in 1840. So he's a big Harrison man, and uh, he's sought after as a, as a speaker, and that continues from the 40s all the way through. Yeah. Until he becomes president, he does. He he's not only is he locally doing things, but he's going. He becomes nationally known because he's going and speaking in Iowa, in 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 Ohio, in in the in the new in New England areas. Even before he becomes known for the Lincoln Douglas debates, so that's another thing that happens during his legislative period. He's an elector for Harrison that year. He is, um, and it's interesting. You told that story with uh, with. 
Francis, you guys going through the museum today, we just put out, like last week, that letter in the what we call the political life cases where he's mad about Douglas. You know, mm. It's almost exactly the same thing in the 50s. The Republicans are kind of courting these moderate right. Democrats, and so they want Douglas because he's the king of the moderate Democrats, and Lincoln writes this scathing letter. What the heck are you doing? Like, stay away from this guy, right? Um, and so he's still playing those same games, and he learns those games yeah, in the, in the state legislature. So, yeah. The one thing I'm beginning to, well, I've known this for a while, but to really understand Lincoln as a person, you can't really ignore any one area of, of his history. And I mean, I am totally guilty of not knowing much about his time in the legislature at all. And I now want to learn more about it. Just in the episode 99, we talked about Springfield and I was researching about the long nine. And then I start going down this rabbit hole and getting really Mm -hmm. interested in how Springfield became the capital because Mm -hmm. Because of Lincoln, and also he was, I think, selected to kind of be just their their main speaker for all of that. And I texted these two, and I said, we need to do an episode about the Long Nine. Oh, yeah. And I need to stop researching this right now, because <laughs> I'm going down a rabbit hole, and yeah. I need to refocus again. Um, so it's really interesting to hear all this stuff about like how he did grow in the legislature as well, and how that probably... You know, it was kind of the precursor to some of the decisions and just the way he was when he was president. And I think it's an important part of his history that I don't know how many people would know a lot about it. Well, and, and you're not alone there. I mean, even if you look at a lot of the Lincoln biographies written um, until very recently, the, the his legislative career doesn't get a lot of, you know, you, you hear the kind of the same handful of stories. The long nine it always gets in there. But... Um, a lot of this other stuff really doesn't, and, and the the whole internal improvements thing. I mean, that's a huge story in Illinois, and Lincoln's right in the middle of it. Um, and you know, it this this his legal career parallels, um, not coincidentally, his law career, and the law career has tended to get more attention. Um, as you know, that's what this period of Lincoln's life is about, is about him as a lawyer and learning that practice and what that does for him. And that's all good and that's all true. Um, but I think the legislative career is kind of taking a back seat to that. And it, it's, a, it's a critical part of the story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, just as you were kind of talking about that, um, I do, you know, I think it's important to kind of put into context, like how that's, like why is that overlooked or oversimplified? I think like there's a lot of, looking at his law career like he was like this country lawyer or something mm-hmm. and like the legislature very similarly he was like representing rural Sangamon County and it like and I was really enjoying how you how you were both kind of putting that into context and what what does that mean like what did his time in the legislature mean for his development as a person um, and I guess a question I would have for you um, and we talk about the show all the time and people complain about me talking about it all the time um, but everyone claims Lincoln as their own, right? Like, you know, the party of Lincoln and Lincoln was this and Lincoln was that. I've always kind of taken the position that the Whigs, uh, internal and so-called internal improvements, as you were mentioning, was, was very much like, a you know, spend, spend what we have, go into debt, um, invest big government in, for the time anyway, investing. Do you think that that would, uh, do you think it's, it's reasonable to use that maybe argument to say like, Lincoln was more liberal, or at least for the time, would have been considered liberal compared to, um, you know, whatever our parties stand for now. Uh, he was certainly, I think, economically progressive, um, and you know, and eventually he's uh, he's racially progressive, um, and you know, his presidency. Um, you know, to fast forward, I mean, Lincoln isn't afraid to use presidential power. I mean, he sees himself as being in an extreme situation. That's not politics as usual. Um, he's putting down the largest rebellion the nation ever faced. Um, but I think you could certainly apply a progressive label to Lincoln in those two ways. Um, uh, Lincoln, um, and Lincoln, of course, evolves over time. Is you know the the thing people tend to talk about is his views on race evolving over time. You know the other kind of plat- part of the Republican Party and part of where that idea, but where their ideas about race come from in the 1850s, is this focus on um, the the that America is unique because it allows the kind of common man, and it would have been men uh, and white men uh, to. 
rise, right? It's it's free, you know, free labor that you can that that like Lincoln, um, you know, you can if you're driven enough, you can rise through society. Um, and I think uh, that idea um, has kind of, I mean, that we that became just part of the American thing, right? That was, you know, the Republicans won that argument with, uh, after the civil war. Um, and I think that's something, I, you know, you'd, it'd be hard to find an American who doesn't believe in that. Right. Um, the question now is just, you know, or has been over the 20th century in particular was, you know, then let's make sure that applies to everybody, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's complicated. Um, but um, there's certainly ways you could apply a progressive label to Lincoln, uh, but there's also ways you could apply a conservative label to Lincoln. You know, it's 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 that direct analogy from from his time to ours is is, is tough. It's not it's not a clean sure. you know thing. What about and another thought I had too is I, I think now legislators are looked at cynically often. I think um, and many of our presidents, you know, uh, President Obama was was one of the few legislators who became, directly became a president, you know, I think it was Kennedy before him and Harding before him. Like, very rarely did someone go from the Senate to the presidency. Um, and, like, thinking about really strong legislators who became effective presidents, um, there's not, there may not be that many, maybe Lyndon Johnson um, or a handful of others. So you were talk, kind of talking about how he developed those skills in Springfield in the General Assembly in the 1840s, do you, like to what degree do you think his time as a legislator um, led to that? And then um, I think sometimes, too, the fact that he had such a gap between when he was a legislator and a congressman to his kind of reemergence, which I think is always fascinating as well. Well, one of the things that I think it's interesting about Lincoln in the, in the context of his legislative career in Illinois is that Lincoln is coming into office at a time in which the consensus of the post-War of 1812 consensus of nationalism, the Madisonian view of big government, united government, the American system, has broken down with the Jacksonians. So we're now faced with two options here, and one is states' rights philosophy. There's a radical states' rights philosophy. Then there's, the, then there's the union. And Lincoln is definitely someone who embraces the union philosophy of Henry Clay. This plays a big part in Lincoln's, part of Lincoln's view of the war when it starts. And it also plays a big part in his views of economics. And so, therefore, what you see with Lincoln, you could call him a progressive, if you'd like, in terms of politics, in terms of economics, but what you really see is a person who sees the nation as a whole. Now, Illinois, when he's in Illinois, because of because the Jacksonians have said they, on a national level the federal government can't give money to internal improvements, the state starts start do, starts start doing it themselves. One of the things that's going on is that all the states around Illinois are enacting their own internal improvement program. So Illinois jumps in, and as but it's part of this interconnectivity that Henry Clay emphasized that Lincoln embraced. Lincoln never lost that. Lincoln never went to the direction of states' rights that Illinois should be on its own. And so when he, he, when he faces the secession crisis in 1861, that's what, that's what informs his view. Uh, that is not what is informing the view of the fire eaters. That is not what has been informing their view since the, since the nullification crisis. So Lincoln is, I mean, Lincoln in some ways is keeping the Clay Madisonian vision of America as a united country alive. And without the war, I, I, you know, without, the, without him um, insisting that the Union stay together and fighting a war to make it stay together, I'm not sure that it would have stayed together. A lot of people, you know, on the, in the North and the South, the radicals were perfectly willing, even abolitionists, to see the Union broken up over slavery. Lincoln was not. Nor was Clay, and this is. But this was a this was a running against the the current. I think at the, even when the time is he's in the legislature, the Democrats are dominating. It's a hard road he has to go to get these things accomplished in the state of Illinois because Illinois remains a Democratic state, um, and he's lucky. He's he's in Sangamon County. Sangamon County is always they they run Whig all the time, so he's he's got that advantage. So he can be a voice. But Lincoln 
for example, when he's a congressman, he's the only Whig Democrat. He's the only Whig in the Illinois delegation. Everybody else is a, is a Democrat. So he's carrying that low. He's carrying that kind of view forward, um, even up into his last action in the in the in Congress. He gives a speech on internal improvements in 1849. And by 1849, the big issue for Whigs and everybody is slavery. But Lincoln said, Lincoln even says, I don't think many people will read this, but it's important for my, it's important for my region. It's important for the West. And this goes into what Douglas was trying to do in the 1850s is, is, move thing, is, is to make Chicago a, a hub for expansion and of course, it ends up being a disaster. But Lincoln still views internal improvements for the West as something very important for his section, even though everyone else is talking about slavery as the main issue and about the Southwest. The Northwest still needs roads. They still need canals. They still need railroads. So Lincoln carries that forward, and it becomes part of the legislative process when he becomes president. Yeah, I think that's something that's forgotten about just how much he was for Western, like. You know, the Homestead Act, the Pacific mm-hmm. Railway Act. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. even like his court case dealing mm-hmm. with the bridge up in uh, the upper Mississippi. Yeah. And uh, I can't even think of oh, the God. town, uh, the Quad Cities yeah. area. Mm-hmm. So yeah. uh, that's something that's always forgotten about, I feel, mm-hmm. with Lincoln. And you see a lot of that with his position when he's a state politician mm-hmm. there. I think I cut you off. No, no. I, I Daniel did a good job addressing Lincoln's ideology. The the other direction um, your question took me um, if, if we can stand talking about historical method a little bit as a way for me to plug the papers too, is um, the, you, you talk, we talked earlier about how his legal or his, um, his legislative career has kind of been ignored. Um, his legal career wasn't really clearly understood for a while. And then you mentioned how there's this gap. Um, a lo- all, the answer to all those has to do with sources more than interpretation that the collected works of Abraham Lincoln, which is amazing. And I use it every day that came out in the fifties was just the stuff Lincoln wrote. And, um, that as a result of that, there are gaps. Um, when they did that, they didn't collect all the legal papers of Abraham Lincoln. Um, they didn't go as deep into the legislative career. Um, and there's also blinders there because you don't see what people are writing to Lincoln. And so when um, the legal practice of Abraham Lincoln, when they did their project, that added all kinds of new light onto what Lincoln's legal career was like. Um, with, the, with the new stuff you guys are doing, um, you can see a lot more of his legislative career. And then the other aspect of that, there, there really isn't a gap. There's a gap in what office Lincoln is holding. But what you see when you look at Lincoln's incoming correspondence is Lincoln is still very active as a politician during that time, even though he's not holding office, he's corresponding with all these people and they're corresponding with him all over the state um, and outside the state uh, about Whig politics and then eventually forming the Republican Party. Um, that's uh, that is 100 percent of that. The perception that he wasn't doing that was based on they just didn't see those letters before. Um, and great. now, in part because the Library of Congress digitized their stuff, that's where all that started because you could see the incoming correspondence there. And then you guys are furthering that. You can you get a much broader sense of what Lincoln is up to. Um, that, that's true. And one of the things that you notice is that the idea that Lincoln, after he leaves the legislature in 1841 and just goes back and becomes a lawyer, uh, isn't accurate because Lincoln, what he's doing is he's building the Whig Party in Illinois. He's trying to get Whigs elected, and he's actively trying to, he's negotiating about what his next step is going to be. His next step is, his next step is Congress. And so he's involved in that, but he's also involved in building the party in the state. He's involved in building the party nationally, trying to get a Whigs elected president in 44 and 48. Uh, he does a tour of New, of New England in 48, speaking on behalf of Taylor, not Clay. Lincoln is one of these people who decides early on that Clay can't win in 48, so he, he breaks with Clay he joins the Taylorites, and he spends a large part of the fall of 1848 trying to convince other Whigs, including Henry Clay, to go for Taylor uh, because he wants to win the presidency. So you do see that he's active. The idea that he, kissed, he makes a political comeback in 1854, he certainly becomes more active in terms of seeking you know, office again. Um, 
but he had been in political office. He'd served a term, and there was a sort of an agreement that you would serve one term, and you'd take off, and that's what he did. But he still kept active. He still kept kept his uh, kept um, writing to people. People kept writing to him about what was going on with the party. What's not, and to the finest detail of what do we have in this county? What? How are we looking in 1848 in this county? In your county? In Putnam County? In Marshall County? How are we looking? And he's always he's also cheerleading. Oh, don't worry about Ohio. We're going to win Ohio. Yeah. We're going to win New York. Well, they don't win Ohio, but they win New York. Uh, he predicts some things that are correct, some things incorrect. And uh, he's encouraging people that, hey, we just need a few more votes in this county and we can elect another, another Whig. So he's doing all that. And you see it in the letters back and forth between him and, him and people that most people don't know about. These are, local, these are the local politicians in their respective counties. Yeah, and I think that's what... Um for people like us who aren't, you know, we're kind of enthusiasts more than historians, it's important to realize, like, the value in the papers. Um, because I think the narrative about Lincoln is, you know, he kind of faded into obscurity and then yeah. somehow was nominated by his party to, to run for Senate in 1858, right? Um, but he was floated for vice president in the Republican Party in 1856. Well, how did that happen? Of course, you've explained it, but, like, I think a lot of people just think that there was this big resurgence and the debates did it. Um, you know, and then there's of course the Cooper union speech and everything else. But, um, so yeah, I think, I think that it's, it, I like that this project exists and perhaps there's a, you know, maybe a, a more complete picture of Lincoln's career, certainly in Springfield can be painted. And I think sometimes it's hard for folks to, to see, you know, you either look at him as a lawyer or you look at him as a politician or you look at him as, you know, um, the person writing to the papers all the time, you know, um, but that's all going on at the same time, and it's mm-hmm. interwoven. And I think yeah, right. that that's where the complexity. I don't know if a lot of you know, kind of lay people understand that as well, um, kind of as you're dealing with it. So I, this, this project is really exciting to me as just kind of an outsider to see like mm-hmm. this is a great way to see how all of this stuff's actually going on at the same time, mm-hmm. which is, it makes it pretty impressive too that mm-hmm. he's carrying this on with a successful law practice and able to be a pretty wealthy person in Springfield. I think it gives you a deeper appreciation for the man that Lincoln was and how he evolved over time. And that's why projects like this are so important in our study of Lincoln. It's also why like, there's constantly new biographies being written about him because there's, it seems like there's always something new to be learned about him as well. Yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing. One of the things we decided to do uh, is collect... All of the bills we, we have all the bills that Lincoln wrote authored. We have all of those, and we all. But we also also decided to collect all of the bills that came up in the House that he could have voted on, and all the acts that were passed. And we decided to do what we call legislative histories of those acts. So you get an idea from those legislative histories how Lincoln votes if it's recorded. Uh, you get an idea of. Where he's coming from when he, when in terms of the nitty gritty and the nuts and bolts of writing legislation, uh, one of the things that we discovered that no one knew before, and even the collected works got this wrong, was that Illinois, because of the Panic of eighteen thirty seven, was faced with the inability to pay their debt payments, their interest payments on the debt. So there's a document where. Eventually, they come up with a, with a plan to pay the debt. We discovered the original document that Lincoln's, the original document that was the basis for that plan, we've never found the original copy of that. We found it in the newspaper, local newspaper, as a part of the debate. And so you see the beginnings of this bill that goes through three or four months of debate. It's a long debate. Um, Lincoln's plan, Lincoln's plan is to save the internal improvement system and also save the bank, the State Bank of Illinois, which the Democrats want to destroy. He succeeds. Uh, but the part of the story that people don't know is that Lincoln raises taxes, wants to raise taxes to pay off his debt, but it fails. The, the state defaults. Uh, it's, it's, not a good, it's, not a, it's not a glowing thing that Lincoln, part of Lincoln's story. And it's a story that no one hardly ever talks about. 
that the that the state has to default uh, in July of 1841. His plan doesn't succeed in saving the state from defaulting, but uh, it's what we we capture that we put it down. We put we give it to people so they can see the the nuts and the bolts and the warts and the good things that he did. Some things that he did were didn't work out. Um, he had the disadvantage in that particular time that the next year things started to pick up and the next governor came in and the economy picked up and they were able to right the ship. Um, did not have that ad- advantage uh, in 1841. So that's what the paper tries to capture is his career through the documents. So you can read the documents, read the annotation, and then write biographies about mm-hmm. him. Another thing... I was thinking, too, we talked about how he's such a party guy, and then the Whig Party starts to dissolve. How did he handle that? How tough was that for him? Um, And what are some of the things that you've come across? I mean, the story there is, you know, Lincoln... Lincoln knows what's going on. He knows why the Whig Party's collapsing. It's collapsing for reasons he predicted, right? He's, it's collapsing because of the territory acquired by the Mexican War, and it's the slavery issue tearing it apart. Um, Lincoln, I think, doesn't quite know how to react to it at first. Lincoln stays a Whig for longer than a lot of other people stay Whigs. Um, but, and this is where the traditional story, you know, it's not the traditional story about Lincoln going back into obscurity and coming out is entirely wrong, but, or, you know, parts of that story are right. And, and what happens is, you know, it's, it's when Kansas, Nebraska comes in. Once he realizes what the Democrats are going to do, that they're going to blow up the Missouri compromise. Um, that's when he charges right into what becomes the Republican party. He becomes an anti Nebraska guy and then actively sets about creating this new party. Um, so, you know, he, he, his initial reaction to you know answer your question more directly his, his initial reaction you know is kind of to see what's going on and and you know but he by that time you know lincoln lincoln sees that the playing field is changing and once he knows where it's going he dives right into his new identity as a republican which obviously works out very well for him politically and so and so for the country so <laughs> we collect we would collect all the documents from around 1850, all those there's lots and lots of well. For example, let me just give you an example. Uh, in the period from 1842 to 1849, there are 400. We have 471 documents that are written by or written to Abraham Lincoln. In the period from 1849 to 1860, there's 3,000. So it gives you an idea that there's a massive shift going on mm-hmm. in his life and in the nation's life. So he's writing, and lots of people are writing him, because the Whig Party is breaking down. A new party is forming. Lincoln is directly involved in that, and he's talking to people in the state, building that party up, and he's also building it up nationally, just like he did with the Whig Party. So that's what you see in the papers from those 3,000 documents up until the time he's elected. You're seeing him writing, and his, his, his thought evolving away from what were dominant Whig issues. Uh, he's a little slow. Like I say, in 1849, he's still writing about internal improvements. I mean, no one's talking about the bank anymore. No one's talking about internal improvements anymore. They're talking about expansion and they're talking about slavery. And Lincoln gradually, I do believe, Lincoln gradually becomes convinced on a, to on a certain level that there is a conspiracy mm-hmm to advance slavery into the territories. He doesn't have the kind of view that William Lloyd Garrison has. And he'll say that it may sound strange that I um, am a person who wants to protect slavery in the states, but I don't want to see it expanded. That may sound strange to you, but that's my view. That's Lincoln's view. That's the view he carries into the war. That develops in the 50s. And uh, he carries that view. That's the view he, he that's the view tells the Southerners, hey, I'm not going to mess with slavery. I've told you this in every speech I've ever written and ever, ever given. I'm not going to mess with slavery in the states, but it's not going to expand into the territories. We want it to die. We want it to be confined to the South. Uh, so I think, I think you see in those 3,000 documents um, his evolution as a, as a person, and he has to grapple now with the issue of freedom and slavery 
and what do we do about slavery and how do we how do you build a national consensus around this issue um, and it, it's free soil free labor for for free white men obviously at this at the early stage and eventually he begins to see that it, he begins to get, become more radical i think mm-hmm. there needs to be free soil also for black men who fought in the war african americans who fought in the war deserve their deserve vote deserve the vote i think he would have begun to see that they also need land if he had lived we don't know what would have happened if he had lived obviously we don't know what happened number one question i get asked at the museum is well, it's very interesting. What would have happened if Lincoln lived? And I it's always dodge it. Yeah. But yeah, it is very interesting because, uh, as you saw, you said you saw the home, and Lincoln's home is very modest. Uh, if you were to go see David Davis's home in Bloomington, it's a mansion. And I just decided the other day, just for grins and tickles, to look up David Davis, who is you know a Supreme Court justice, Lincoln's uh, one of Lincoln's oldest friends. What kind of wealth he had in eighteen seventy? He had $70,000 in real estate and $500,000 in personal property, which is about $11.6 million. He was a millionaire, and several times over. Would Lincoln have been like that after, the, after his term? Or would he have come back to Springfield and live that in house? It's hard. We don't, we'll never know. Um, but Lincoln was a unique person in the sense that you know, his, his, he was not a wealthy man. He was a common man. And he came up through the ranks, started out as a lowly legislator, and was, wasn't a governor, um, was, and, and emerged. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a very, it's a great story. It's a very good, it's a great story of a person who, of, of perseverance who works hard and uh, takes an active interest in his country and in his party. And one of, the, one of the things to jump way back to where this conversation started, the thing that strikes me about um, Lincoln's ambition, how driven he was. So Lincoln is that first time when he when he runs and he loses. Right. Lincoln's 23 and he's been in New Salem for like a year and he's already at that point like he's already established enough in New Salem. He's driven enough that he mm-hmm. thinks, yeah, I could run. And then he's established enough too, that he carries like overwhelmingly carries New Salem itself in mm-hmm. that campaign. I mean, you know, I was not, when I moved to Springfield, I was not a year into my time in Springfield, <laughs> had enough friends that I could win almost everybody in Springfield. <laughs> I ran for office. I mean, that's pretty amazing that a, yeah. he had the idea to do it and B that he, he almost pulls, you know, or that he does pull it off in his hometown. Well, it's they make amazing. him a captain of, yeah. of, of, a, of a unit at, in the Black Hawk war. And he's been there for only a short period of time. Obviously he has some kind of charisma. He has something yeah. that people see in him. Uh, he hasn't even started really his legal, work yet uh he's just a new resident so within two years after that he's a freshman he's a freshman legislator who's trying to learn the legislative process and also trying to learn the law so he can become a lawyer and again he does and this is one thing that a lot of people don't realize is that that's what politicians did in those days all of them had you know law practices henry clay had a law practice daniel webster had a lucrative law practice um, Alexander Hamilton had a lucrative law practice, and a lot of them left the Senate or left the House in order to go home and make money, so they could actually because they got in debt to to, to they didn't they didn't become wealthy by by being uh, um, legislators. Lincoln became wealthy by being an attorney, and so did all these yeah. all these fellows. So um, it is a it is a question of being in Lincoln's case. Not just power, but also being concerned about your section, concerned about your town, and wanting to. I mean, the West is desperately in need of of internal improvements. That's why this becomes an issue for him. Well, that just reminds me of something like we were kind of talking, talking about you know some of the false narratives of Lincoln. And one of them is like he just fails, fails, fails. Like it's just like this bum on a couch who's just failing everything. But he's really just like this super driven, passionate, motivated guy who gets out a little bit ahead of himself a couple of times and learns from those mistakes like, like most successful people do. You know, if you equate it to a sports team, it's like a young, you know, sorry to use Cubs if we're not all Cubs fans here. But that first year they made the playoffs before they were supposed to. 
win a series, they learn from that. And then eventually it leads to success. That's really the real narrative kind of of Lincoln, in a sense, as opposed to, oh, this guy's just a loser. He just fail, failed, and then he just became and blossomed late. Um, yeah, well, and there's a drive for self-improvement with Lincoln. This yeah. is the point I try to, when I give museum tours and I give talks about Lincoln, I really try to drive home that, that you can look at Lincoln's life as a series of kind of things that he tackles. And then he's got this drive and this genius, and I'll, I'll use the G word genius, to like to master these things. But he knows, like, but when I say master, it's not like these things came naturally to Lincoln. Like, Lincoln realized, all right, I got to be a lawyer, so I'm going to read a bunch of law books. You know, I'm going to, you know, all right, I need to learn math, like, really early in his life, right? So I'm going to start reading all these, you know, I'm going to start reading about geometry, and I'm going to figure this out on my own, right? And he carries that all the way through to the presidency. Like, when Lincoln goes... To Washington, he checks out books on warfare from the Library yeah. of Congress. I think I've made this point on the podcast before. Like, you know, this is not a, you know, this is a guy with a certain amount of humility. Like, you know, okay, I better learn how to run a war now, you know. Um, I discover, you know, one of the cool things about working at the museum is you discover new things about Lincoln all the time. And, and we're working on an exhibit right now that we're going to put in the ghost, we call it the ghost queue, where you, where you wait for the ghost show. Um, we're going to put a bunch, we have an amazing collection of stuff related to Uncle Tom's cabin, uh, almost all of which was donated to us in one big donation. Uh, and in researching that and running the labels for that, in June of 1862, Lincoln checked out, again, at the Library of Congress, he checked out uh, Harry Beecher Stowe's key to Uncle Tom's cabin, which if you know anything about the story of Uncle Tom's cabin, you know, it, it gets attacked, right? It gets brutally attacked mm-hmm. by pro-slavery Southerners. Yeah. They write their own versions of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Stowe basically shows the receipts. She writes this version, this this basically a, a, a breakdown of like her research that went into Uncle Tom's Cabin. She calls it the key to Uncle Tom's Cabin. Lincoln checks this out in June of 1862. What's Lincoln doing in June of 1862? He's thinking about the Emancipation Proclamation, the, you know, what slavery is doing for the South, right? This is a month away from when he's going to propose this to his cabinet. And so this is Lincoln doing research, right? Lincoln's like, well, I need to, you know, I'm going to read up on slavery, so I'm going to go and read Stowe's book on, you know, the resources she used that she put mm-hmm. in Uncle Tom's cabin. Like, that's amazing that that's what Lincoln did, right? Mm-hmm. He didn't go and have somebody else do it for him either, right? He went and got the book and he read it. You know, it's it's... It's pretty cool stuff, and, and, and all kinds of this stuff is going on with Lincoln. He always had this capacity for growth, um, and then this recognition that like he had to put in the elbow grease to grow you know, as a person, and, and uh, that's really an admirable thing. I mean, well, and, and that's why I really like what you, what you all are doing and how you're kind of tying all that together, because I think sometimes when you talk about ambition, like S- Stephen Douglas had a ton of ambition, and, and Seward mm. and Chase, like these were very... And very similar, I think, to Lincoln and like, you know, gaining gain, gain skills as legislators or you know, politicians, and um, we're good at influencing people. Mm-hmm. And um, but then you add all of these other elements to Lincoln, especially like him learning things that he needed mm-hmm. to know outside of the, you know, even ostensibly independent of the political process. But of mm-hmm. course, that ended up. Um, so I think that that even maybe elevates him a little bit more when you realize that it's not as if he just worked harder than everybody else or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like right. he was, you know, this is an, an era of some very talented, motivated, ambitious, you know, say what you want about Stephen Douglas, but you know, he rose to be a you know mm-hmm. pretty prominent figure in Chicago history, Illinois history, mm-hmm. legislative history. Um, so like to bring in that, like your points about mm-hmm. what else Lincoln did in addition to his self-made status and mm-hmm. his ambition, um, there's just so much more to it. And I think that, you fill in those gaps with things like we know what books he checked out because there's a historic record and we know how many letters he wrote and we know mm-hmm. how he, you know, how he was thinking um, to fill that in, to fill that narrative in with that. I think it's just a really, really cool thing. What are some of the hidden treasures that you've come across <laughs> in the paper? Something, you know, or what are some of your favorites that you, they always pop in your head and, hmm. Well, I do like the letter that uh, I mentioned earlier about Lincoln coming up with the plan for trying to solve the state's financial problems. That was a that was a big find for us. Uh, that's one of my favorites. Another one of my favorites is uh, a letter that was written to him in the 1850s. There were two letters written to him by a man up in uh, 
Mount Morris, Illinois, who was, I think, was someone from Alsace-Lorraine. And he wrote Lincoln in a combination of French, German, and... Um, French and German and phonetics. And the letter's very interesting in the sense that he's talking to Lincoln about slavery. And he's very interesting. I think the guy is actually a newspaper editor. But what's interesting about it was that he mentions that he was at a a speech that Lincoln gave in Henry, Illinois in 1858. I said, Lincoln gave a speech in Henry, Illinois in 1858. We don't have a speech with Lincoln in Illinois from 1858. So I went to the newspaper for Henry, Illinois, and there's a speech that we found. So this is part of the uh, Lincoln-Douglas debates that uh, we didn't know about, part of his speeches. probably. And then there's probably the biggest one um, was the story of Toulon, Illinois, and Lincoln, which I researched. Uh, there's a plaque in Toulon, Illinois, that, or it used to be a plaque, I've changed it now, that had Lincoln and Douglas coming there on October 6th and 7th, 1858. A gentleman from Toulon came down on Inauguration Day 2010 and said, well, I, have a, I don't think that's the right date. I think it was the 26th that he came, October. So he had a letter. It was a letter to Lincoln from the 18th of October about coming to Toulon. So after a bunch of research in the newspaper, they gave Lincoln's itinerary. We found out that Lincoln changed his itinerary. He, Toulon wasn't on his own itinerary until the 26th, 24th, when he changed it. And the newspaper, the Chicago Tribune, says he's going to Toulon on the 26th. So they had, last year, they had a, last fall, they had a big celebration um, changing that plaque. <laughs> Um, because of our research and because of what we studied. So that's one of my favorite things that we've done, is finding these kind of things, finding new things, changing the the narrative, uh, finding letters where people have invited Lincoln to stay at their home because it was dangerous in Washington. I had one person write Hmm. in 1863, inviting him to stay at his home um, because it was too dangerous to drive out to the old soldier's home. Well, the guy's home was within within you know a stone's throw you could actually see the Surratt house from his home it, was, it wouldn't have been very safe that's one of my favorites that he that's one of my favorites as well there's lots of them uh we see them every day new ones and, and interesting ones every day that come along so I, I couldn't i could tell you a million stories about those documents what happens when you guys get a big fine because, like, when we find out something, we got, like, the group text. Yeah. Or we get, like, super, like, do you guys group text, group email? Is it a shouting? Is it just, like, you just take it all in and you're kind of like, <laughs> I have a term for it, but I won't use it because it's inappropriate. But, um, yeah. you know, like, what would you, like, how does that go? You guys get a big fine. What happens? Well, if we have a big fine that something comes in, and we have, to, we have things that come in regularly, if it's a big fine... Uh, we we do press release, an old-fashioned press release. Um, we throw it up on Facebook and Twitter um, if somebody will do it. Um, I don't do Facebook and I don't do Twitter, but we have people putting them up there. And we've had fi- we've had things that we had one thing that was I don't think we discovered this. This was in the in the National Archives, but someone found um, a report of the physician that was treating Lincoln the night he was assassinated. And um, the person who found that was ended up having doing interviews on NPR, BBC. We think a nine million people got that or could potentially see that news release. So when you find Lincoln documents, especially in his hand, uh, these are big deal. These are these are a big deal. Um, we always hope that we can get a scan. Sometimes they're found and we don't find them, and we always want a scan of them so we can add them to our collection. Sometimes you just walk in the door. We had somebody just walk in the door last week with one. She was 97, and he was 98. And they walked in the door with a Lincoln document they just found. Uh, these ha- this happens monthly, usually. Um, sometimes they're minor things. Sometimes they're big, important documents. Yeah, I mean, that the, the I don't know if we're talking about the same one, but that the gentleman came in 
was it this week? And he came in, with, or maybe been last week. Anyway, he came in with a document about a, uh, it's a POW is trying to get out, and um, yeah. and he came to see me, uh, mostly just to I think show it off. I mean, he did. He kind of knew it. He'd already done all the research about mm. it. He wasn't going to donate it to us. No. Uh, he just wanted to talk to me about it and like get my opinion on it. So I looked at it, and it's got a Lincoln endorsement. It's a guy, you know, a Union guy is trying to get a Confederate guy out of a POW camp, yeah. right? And, uh, and Lincoln endorses it on the back. Lincoln says, you know, yeah, sure, let this guy go free. And and usually those are clipped out too. So that's what, what's great about that document is it was all together. Which I told the guy that's you know he's got something special there. Um, but I immediately. You know, went out to the because I had I was with the guy, so I couldn't do it myself. I went to security guard and said, "Call Daniel Worthington and get him down here right now," because uh, like that, you know. Now Daniel was busy because uh, you were in a meeting somewhere else, and so I got one of our staff or one of the pal staff, Kelly Clausing, to come down. And yeah, we immediately asked the guy, "Can you, you know, will you let us scan this?" And he was very. Sometimes they the private collectors say no because they're worried. Sometimes they do because they're worried it will depreciate the value of the document which it won't but anyway this guy was great he said oh yeah yeah please and so she went and scanned it and i chatted with him well well she did that and um and now it's in the database and you know one day it'll get published on the website so um you know that's pretty much how it plays out so um, yeah i think that's one thing we always want to stress to people who have documents we don't want to buy your document yeah um i mean if you want to donate it to us yeah it's fine uh to the library museum we would love to do that have that but we we want a scan of it. We we want a derivative scan uh, a collection of documents from all over the world, so people can come to one source to do their research. And that's that's the papers of Abraham Lincoln and the Abraham Lincoln Presidential Library and Museum. That's our whole. That's our goal. That's our plan. And there are big documents out there in private hands that we don't know where they are. Right. True. The, the big rumored one. It's the last speech, right? That they think Bill Gates has. Isn't that the? <laughs> wow. I mean, we have wow. we have documents from collected Come on, Gates. You're listening. <laughs> yeah. We have documents from collected works that we've never seen the original document. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was in it was in someone's hands in 1953, and I think we got one of those recently mm-hmm. that was donated to us. So it, these things just pop up, and you have to be aware, and you have to, you know, we get, luckily we have a connect group of people out there that sometimes say, hey, there's an auction this week, and they're doing the Lincoln document. Mm-hmm. Uh, it starts at $10,000. You guys want to bid on it? And we say, no, no. Uh, but uh, if that person bids on it and gets it, we always say, hey, you know, give us a scan of it. So uh, to, be a, to be part of the Lincoln collecting cr- Community requires big bucks, but to be a part of the Abraham Lincoln uh, Abraham Lincoln Papers, it just requires us to to scan your document. <laughs> You're sitting on a document. Yeah, <laughs> bring it down to the library. Let them scan it in. You owe it to all of humanity to do it. <laughs> papers yeah. Abraham Lincoln <laughs> dot org. Yeah, yeah, papers, yeah exactly. <laughs> I think we're getting close to our time, so we want to be uh, generous with your time too. So one of the segments we always like to do, and I think I forgot to remind you, is uh, we call This Week in Lincoln. Kind of a odd pop culture thing, an odd area that you've seen Lincoln pop up in. Maybe pop culture, maybe around town, maybe on the side of a building. I don't know if you two have one or one of you have one. I gotta pull my thoughts together because I just noticed you're drinking President's Choice water, and that made me feel super homesick. Yes. But uh, <laughs> you can take a bottle with you if you want. I drank. I, we had waffles yesterday, and I used President's Choice maple syrup. So nice. yes, we we do have a small <laughs> nice. collection of President's Choice stuff in our in our uh, our house. I want to give a shout out to my buddy uh, George Bus, uh, who I think you guys know for that uh, photo of him that went viral. Uh, going down the giant slide at the Illinois State Fair. That amazing. That's uh, that's probably mine. I also went down uh, the giant slide. I'd never been down before, and this was the first year my son went down with me, and I bruised my tailbone. <laughs> it was in horrible pain for weeks. But George looked like he had a much better time on it than I did. So that's that's probably my this week in Lincoln. That's good. That's a good <laughs> idea. I think the one I've seen recently are flags on some of the light poles that is a new convention and visitors bureau slogan springfield is abtastic amazing amazing thank you <laughs> that is now our tagline for for springfield is it's abe abe amazing that's alplm's tagline okay i'm sorry 
I missed that. I missed that memo. Uh, so, but yes, there. Lincoln is. Uh, it's amazing what you'll see. Lincoln connected to always something positive. That's always good for us. Uh, that it's always positive. No, oh, thank you again for coming out here. So sure. you guys are couldn't think of a better way to kick off our second one hundred um, with you guys. So um, we appreciate it, especially on this uh, you know holiday weekend coming out here on a Sunday and just talking to us. So yeah, you guys are awesome, uh, Jeremy, Mary. Anything to add? Thank you so much, both of you. It was a really interesting conversation, and just yeah, thank you for taking the time for us. You're certainly welcome. Glad oh yeah, anytime. Yeah. All right, uh, and remember, uh, I always butcher this line, but with malice towards none, charity for all. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see you next time. Rail split nation. <laughs>